and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? There it is. There's that voice that we have been... <laughs> we, I like... I, I mean, I, I'm obviously, uh, you know, I, I, I joke, but it's very good to have the team back together. Absolutely. I, I hope, uh, other than a couple of comments on the website, I hope people enjoyed the episodes that I did without Tyler. But I am, I am very glad. <laughs> like, it just <laughs> solidified for me that we are a team. <laughs> Battleship Retention is both of us, and it's much better, at least for me, and I would imagine for most of the listeners when it's both of us yes and so thanks for thanks everybody for uh being patient uh some of you not so patient but uh <laughs> and for those yeah uh, as a warning to those and just as a note to others you might have noticed there were only three episodes without tyler there actually will be a fourth tylerless episode coming we had some mm-hmm. uh technical difficulties and we'll, we'll we're, we're gonna re-record uh with it uh because i you know i I set up, you know, I planned, Tyler told me well in advance he was taking April off, I planned these guest hosts and their guests, um, and so I don't want to shortchange these these right. two and give right. this, this guest host a chance to, to be the guest host. So we are, uh, there will be dropped into the feed sometime in the next, I'm hoping two or three weeks, there will be uh, uh, another Tylerless episode. Well, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, it's been an interesting month, but we'll we'll talk more about that yeah, that's a little much bit later. Because you what mostly I... took time off to watch movies. Yes. And so that's going to be sort of the, uh, not sort of, that's going to be the topic of the episode. Yeah. We're going to talk about the movies you watched and, and your experience of taking a month off from talking about movies to watch movies. But first things first, David, let me ask you this. Uh-huh. While I was gone, um, like, has anything changed uh, with tweakedaudio.com slash pretension like is that that's still happening right well look you're still the main point of contact with bruce over there okay so i feel like you would have known okay all right so what you're saying is there is still a place for people to go oh yeah to it's buy still, high it's quality still up, earbuds yeah uh, i mean really it'll be like uh after the apocalypse comes right um Twinkies, cockroaches, and tweaked audio earbuds. That's <laughs> yeah, what yeah, going to be left. The, the internet as a whole will probably still not work, but you will still... They Bruce has gone yeah. through very strenuous back channels to make sure you will still be able to visit tweakedaudio.com slash pretension mm-hmm. and get uh, professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors at uh, a low, low price. Uh, that's the low, low price you begin with. The slash pretension right. uh, alleyway gets you an extra third off yeah. and free shipping. Free shipping. Yeah. All right. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. We're not just uh, spokespersons. We are also... We're also clients. <laughs> clients, yes, of tweakedaudio.com. So, now, we David, for the top of the show... their services. We sure do. Yeah. For the top of the show, you said that you had something to talk about before we dive in. Do you remember yeah. what it was? Yeah, um, and I feel like it's uh, this isn't probably worth a full episode because of the fact that it's just a riff on something we've talked about various times. We okay. talked about it back in was it January? We had um, we had Amy Nicholson on, and we talked about sort of uh, the, the bubble. The bubble. Yes. Yeah, I think that was January. And so I um, finally got a chance to see Spring Breakers. Mm-hmm. And I did not see it at a festival or a press screening 
or an yeah. art house, I you saw You paid it. real money to go see this movie. No, but I'm saying even... I didn't see it um, at like an art house theater. I saw it at a very mainstream theater with a mainstream audience. Yeah. And uh, who, who, you know, um, uh, for the most part, I, I, I think the the film... Well, the film is, is amazing, by the way. Okay. So great. It's so great. Um, but, uh, and, and I think the audience uh, liked it a lot. And then, but there were people who walked out. And I think what I was realizing is maybe I've, um, just like I often don't know because I don't, you know, I was going to say, I don't listen to the radio. Does anyone listen to the radio? Like, how do people hear music? They must listen to the radio. I guess so. Or like Pandora or Spotify at this point or any number of things. Okay, but I don't... I don't listen to any... I generally don't listen to any music that I don't That's, select to listen to yes. beforehand. Yes. And I feel like that gives me a <clears throat> lack of perspective on what is going on, even though I might know a lot about a lot of different music i don't know a lot uh, but I, I might be aware of a lot of different music from mm-hmm. di- all different genres and stuff that is new right now i don't have perspective i'm just i just see them very up close i don't i don't see the forest for the trees i guess as right. it were um and i was thinking about spring breakers um because there's you know parts where um there are things in the movie like short scenes like dialogue scenes being repeated multiple times in a row but shot in different places like one point like the three characters will be in the pool and having this exchange and then they'll be in the bedroom and have the exact same exchange hmm. um and it sort of has this uh and it's sometimes very assaultive when it gets to the the party scenes and then it's sometimes very ethereal uh in ways but I, I believe I believe Matt Singer over at uh, Critic Wire uh, wrote a thing about when it first came out that uh, the word fever dream or the phrase fever dream <laughs> showed up in like well over twenty reviews at oh, once. That's funny. Um, so uh, yeah, I think uh, that's that seems kind of right. Although I I guess I don't really know. I, I don't know that it is a fever dream. I feel like it's more of a um it the. Uh, I was going to say at the risk of sounding lofty, but this is actually something one of the characters alludes to. It's more of a spiritual trance hmm. um, in, in in ways. But now, anyway, I, haven't, not... I haven't seen it. I'm preparing for Domino meets Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's what I have in mind. <laughs> uh, With a little bit of uh, rules of attraction in there. I, I don't know that it is... Because it... I don't even know what uh, what I would compare it to. Uh, but I don't mean to I, simplify it like that, but I'm I, really trying to prepare myself for when I see it. But here's the thing. This is going to tie into what we're talking about, what I'm talking about. You know, um, things like things like Domino, mm-hmm. um, things like yeah, the films of Tony Scott in general, but also the films of Michael Bay um, are big mainstream hits and considered main, they're not considered art films. Um I mean, I would, uh, I would say that both Tony Scott, you know, recipes and Michael Bay are artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- those are considered mainstream films. And I, the point that I'm getting at is that when people were walking out, I, 
I, I wasn't judging them for walking out, but I couldn't understand. I didn't understand what, because there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what, what, what methods of filmmaking seem weird to people who don't watch art films. I think I've seen so many art films and seen so much really weird stuff that, um, I, I had a hard time putting a finger on like while watching the movie, I wasn't thinking like, Oh, I wonder what the audience thinks of, of this. Well, I would say that given the situation that you've outlined, because I'm I'm familiar with that theater. That is the one where uh, you may recall I went and saw Cowboys and Aliens, and there was a young couple you in front confronted, of me. You confronted them. It didn't. I really tried to make it not seem like a confrontation, and based on the conversation that we had, it, they didn't take it that way. Although that is kind of what I was thinking. Yes, um, but yeah. So it's I. It, it is, it is I, a more I, I mainstream wanna... audience that don't that that I would say, like you said, uh, you're fascinated how people, even when they pay a buck fifty or three dollars or even nothing, how people can arrive twenty minutes late and everything's fine. And in the same way, the way that people can just leave and like, you know, what is it that's causing you to leave? And I would venture to say that it's about expectation. Like you go in, you th- with that cast, with that poster, with what looks like a, just a crazy ass performance by James Franco, they think they're getting one thing. But the thing is... Maybe they think they're getting Pineapple Express. But here's the thing. Oh, you think they think it's more of a comedy? It is really funny. Yeah. Oh, I, um, I have no doubt they think it's a comedy. Okay, maybe that's it. Because um, what I thought the expectation of that movie was had to do with it being sort of a... being sort of debauched and excessive and violent... Mm-hmm. And it is all those things. So I was wondering, is it the delivery method that was turning people off? Because it has all the salacious. I mean, it's as salacious as as you want. It has mm-hmm. all the stuff that would draw people. You know, people who want to go see a movie. The all of the advertising for which is for young women in bikinis, right? Like everything, and that's the entire movie. They are pretty much yeah. They're dressed like that the whole movie uh, once they leave college. Um, and it so it it has all of those elements. It's not like the joke of, from The Simpsons of like we're going to go see an R-rated movie and it's Spartan Pink, you know, or something <laughs> like puzzling or or, or heady. Um, although I think the movie is heady, but that's not the point. Um, uh, so I was wondering if is is it because yeah, you made your your point about expectations has to do with content, and I was wondering if is it more the method of delivery oh it's the content i think it's execution because at this point like but if people can okay, put people, up people want the hangover it's got sex it's got probably crazy violence it's got language it's got everything that that people have come to expect from like an r-rated comedy but if you if you do it with just the right or in their view wrong twist then suddenly it's like this isn't this isn't what i wanted it's like not like this like it's that and i i apologize if i to anybody if i sound like I'm being uh, reductive of, of people that might have walked out expecting one thing, but that is, I think people have a, you know, I, I, I do think huh. that, that huh. Hollywood in general does a very has done a very good job of managing our expectations. It's like, okay, you know what to expect from this genre. And when you see, every, and everything that I saw about Spring Breakers, I myself, now of course, when you see that it's Harmony Corinne, you and I know, it's like, okay, so it's not going to be this thing, certainly. Um, Harmony Corinne does make comedies though but i mean julian donkey boy is fucking hilarious i i didn't see it uh but like <laughs> I, I thought we watched that together but <laughs> no no i've seen kids which, uh, he, which wrote. he wrote yeah yes and so um <coughs> excuse me 
but I know, but I know that he is so well. And of course, I've seen kids, but like I know that he is so um, divisive, even in the film nerd community. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like you know, when you and I see written and directed by Harmony Korine, we're like, okay, everything we just saw in a trailer or on the posters, whatever, it's in theory, it will be that, and in execution, it will be something else, probably. But, pe- but, but. You know the mainstream film gr- film goer. They don't know that. They don't know to look at that, and so yeah, and it certainly I, will not change. I feel like you're making good points. Maybe you just need to see the movie to see what I'm talking about. Probably because yeah. if it's method of delivery, then how are these people putting up with um, Michael Bay, who I find as uh, as discombobulating and assaultive as as uh, any film by I don't know who's a uh, yeah, uh, I can't think of anybody. <laughs> oh, right uh, what is the guy who made um, Irreversible and Into the Void? I don't know how you say his name. Jasper No. Yeah, I never. I, I feel like it's. I knew somebody named Noe, but I feel like it's okay. probably not Noe. Okay. Well, in any case, but I don't recall. I I think Michael Bay's films are as um, uh, outre, I guess maybe oh. as as those. I'm not sure. That's a word that I tend to read more than I say, so I'm not sure if that, I said it right. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and and if uh, again, the thing I keep coming back to, it's not like Spring Breakers unexpectedly has long, ponderous sections of um, dialogue or shots of nature or like Terrence Malick type shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it has some Terrence Malick type shit, but subject of the camera's gaze is not trees and alligators it's it, it's it's if you'll excuse me tits and ass yeah <laughs> uh and so if if your reasons for seeing spring breakers are base and i don't uh blame you if that's mm-hmm. the if that's the case the movie is clearly there for that mm-hmm. you won't be disappointed at any point so but why it's based in a certain way that and that you know you mentioned the, the michael bay thing and transformers and all that um you know, that goes back to what I was saying about, like, expectation. I'm going to say maybe 10, 15 years ago, the action movie was not nearly as chaotic. I feel like we should have uh, Matthias Stork here. The action movie was not nearly as chaotic as it is now. But it's, between the Batman films... By the way, films, it's Stork. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I took four years of German in high oh, school. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, I'm just saying I've had... I've had lunch with him a couple of times, <laughs> and I do say his last name every time. But uh, <laughs> do you? No, I just like the idea. What that that's good on the menu here, uh, Matthias Stork? <laughs> what will of, you be uh, ordering at the Coral Cafe? He doesn't go to Coral. He and I went to uh, what is it? BJ's. I don't know. Anyway, there is a place. Um, that this is not a diner. A place I passed on the way here. I won't say how close it is to your your. Uh, I said apartment. You don't have an apartment. You have a home. Damn right. Um, I want. I, yeah, I don't want to give people too much of an idea of of your neighborhood, so I'm not going to say uh, the distance. But I was coming from Beverly Hills to your place, mm-hmm. and I passed a strip club, a topless bar called the Classy Lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would venture to say it's not that close to my uh, to my house. Um, Anyway, so what I was saying is that, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the Michael Bay uh, aesthetic, let's say, uh, was not the expectation. That was probably the exception. But between the Bourne 
series and the Dark Knight series and Michael Bay himself. Now that's the expectation to the point that I've I've talked to a number of people about, let's say, Haywire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Steven Soderbergh film Haywire, which has a, which is an action film, no question, but done with a completely different aesthetic. I would say an old school aesthetic, and I know people who actually don't like that from a filmmaking standpoint. They they like it from a choreography standpoint. No, like not a lot of people. I mean, most people I know like it, but uh, but as an action movie, there are people that I've They've talked to come that, that to don't... prefer the more uh, yeah. just shattered. Uh... <laughs> yeah, just the chaotic, just uh... fragmented movies. Yeah, actually. yeah. And so that's the thing. And, so you know, now, it's funny you say that. You mentioned that because I'm remembering now seeing. Uh, what year did Supremacy come out? Oh three? No, oh four. Supremacy was four. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that and thinking in my, uh, you know, snobbish film school uh, time, like, are are people ready for this? And yeah, I think maybe that's yeah. maybe that was one of the earliest like uh, lessons that post film school me learned that. Um, you know, movie goers, movie goers aren't as stupid as I thought they were in my young, in my early twenties. That yeah, they liked Born Supremacy. Well, it, and also, <laughs> if Born Identity had been done like Born Supremacy, so it was the first film in a franchise done a few years earlier, I feel like people probably would not have accepted it. But at that point, people wanted to see another Born movie, so now that now it's like this. And I feel like the Dark Knight series, people were excited to see Batman, and if that's what this. If this is what that mm-hmm. entailed, then so be it. So, And then Transformers as well. Like all these properties that existed beforehand, people want to see that. And if sitting through this new type of action and new type of action editing, if that's what it means, then then so be it. And because I remember when Supremacy came out, a lot of people talked about how motion sick they were getting. But now that's par for the course. Huh. And so like, so I think people trained themselves and Hollywood trained them well to like, be like, and Hollywood trained filmmakers like, this is the aesthetic now because look at all this money. And so in the same way, I feel like, you know, the, as people said with uh, Judd Apatow and like a uh, 40 year old virgin, like the R rated comedy is back. And then you, then I think uh hangover kicked it up a notch. And, uh, and I think now that is what people expect, which I like the hangover. I haven't seen hangover two. I will not be seeing hangover three. Um, oh, but like, I, by the way, can't wait to see Hangover Part Three because okay, right, I don't know if uh, I don't know how big a deal I made about it on the t- uh, on the show at the time, but I am one of the few uh, uh, among you know people we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am one of the few defenders that I know of the Hangover Part Two. Uh, there are people that, I, from a filmmaking standpoint, people said that it was better and had a. That's you, somehow... when you say people, you're talking about me. Oh, it's, okay. I think obviously it pales in terms of comedy. And right. in terms of structure, it uh, does not um, it it does not stand up to the original Hangover. Yeah. But in terms of Todd Phillips' progression as an auteur, I think it's a very important film in his career, and I'm yeah. very excited to see what he does with the Hangover Part Three. But you go back to the first Hangover, which you know, which is this runaway kind of unexpected hit that basically made a star out of all three of those stars out of all three of the lead cast, and so like. <coughs> There's not a great. It's very funny, but frankly, there's not a great deal of style to it. I, you know, I disagree. Actually, uh, I think that um, there's a there's a an uh, a layer of grime on the Hangover, the first one, that you don't always see in uh, mainstream comedies. I feel like the the vision of Las Vegas, having ever been to Las Vegas, 
um, the vision vision of Las Vegas I get from The Hangover is um, feels much more realistic, and uh, uh, obviously not the, not the things that happen, but just the way that the film looks. Uh, you know, it starts with that. It starts with a Danzig song and uh, the shots of um, the shots of Las Vegas. At, at 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 I don't know if it's supposed to be dawn or or dusk, but it mm-hmm. looks hot and kind of dusty, and it looks gross. And okay. I think that's it's pretty, but it also looks grimy. And I think that that, that he carries that through. So I do think there's something I guess, that he brought to the Hangover. I guess what I mean by style, because yes, there is, and and I mean obviously it's a script choice as well. But to shoot the majority of the film in just you know bright white light uh you know because it's you know the harsh light of day and all that yeah, so yeah. so i don't mean to say that <clears throat> that he makes no stylistic choices i just mean that like when people go to i'd say most comedies it is kind of there's not a lot of kind of experimental like editing with the exception of like you know uh edgar wright stuff and all that and so i think i think people have come to expect a certain thing from comedies, even adult comedies, as far as just the way it is structured, the way a scene is is put together, the way the timing uh, uh, plays out, and that sort of thing. And so, something like Spring Breakers, I think people have an expectation of that as well. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying Spring Breakers is bad for not doing that, nor mm-hmm. am I even saying that people are wrong for not liking it. Oh, sure, no, um, no, no. But it's just uh, I do think that yeah, w- you and I are kind of in. Uh, it's interesting. <coughs> uh, only a couple, uh, not knowing you were going to talk about this, only a couple days ago uh, on Facebook, somebody posted a uh, like a little test from PBS about like your bubble, your cultural bubble. Uh-huh. And like, and so it asks you like 35 questions. Um, and oh, I'd love to take this. It's fascinating. And <clears throat> I mean, it asks about like, you know, the household in which you grew up. It asks you about just random things like, do you know who Jimmy James is? And I was just like, well, I believe he's that NFL coach. Here's why I know it because he was on Survivor a couple weeks, uh, a couple oh, of years. Oh wait, ago. I was thinking of Stephen Root's character from News Radio. <laughs> no, they don't give you that option. Oh, then I guess but, I uh, didn't know who Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson. Pardon me, Jimmy Johnson. Oh, I thought he was a NASCAR guy. Ah, uh, they give you two options. You, if you click yes, I know who he is. It will say football coach, NASCAR guy. And which one was it? It was. It's both. Oh. And so, but wh- how do you know him? Is what they're saying. I, yeah, I. When you say Jimmy Johnson, I think I thought of NASCAR. Yeah, and 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 I thought of the the guy from Survivor, uh, who I guess coached a uh, football team. But the um, but they also so it's just so I'm doing pretty well so far. Like talking about like income and just kind of you know how many people have you you know how many people in your neighborhood do you uh, you know would you guess? No, it's like. Would there be 50 people in your neighborhood that you think do not have a college diploma and stuff like that? So, like, from question to question, it's like, huh, you know, between the uh, different cities I've lived in and the different towns, it's like uh, kind of a varied life experience. This Uh is going pretty well. And what it wound up – so I thought it was about, like, the more things you've experienced, Uh the more not in a bubble you are. Then I got to, you know – they they say going back to the TV season of 2010. Uh-huh. How much of these top of the top ten shows right. did you watch at the time? And I'm like, oh shit, uh-huh. here we go. And I clicked Lost, 
<laughs> and oh, Survivor, yeah. both the island shows. I like islands. And so, um, and so, like, so that's when I realized, like, oh, no, what it is is it's how much do you insulate yourself from, like, the mainstream, from the average person. And uh, Oh, i got to take this thing. Yeah, it's, it's it really interesting. I'm not, like, it had, like, a graph there at the end that I don't, didn't totally understand, but <laughs> I'm kind of right in the middle. I thought I was going to be more, but that's the thing. If you, if you were to tell me going in that, like, hey, by the way, this is a... Uh, how much you connect with the average person. I'm like, well, between my love of Jim Jarmusch and my hatred for sports, I feel like maybe this is not going to go well for me. But that's not what I thought it was when I, go, when I went into it. I'll see if I can find the link and I'll, I'll send it to you. Okay. Um, now, I, there was another thing I wanted to talk about before we get into what, what you watched over the last month. I want to talk about something else that I watched. Um, and I, and, and this, I, I was reminded of it when I was talking about m- me being a sort of know-it-all movie snob in 2004 when I saw The Bourne Supremacy. Okay. Um, uh, I need to offer to to our to our listeners and to, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of people, uh, 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 Mia Culpa. There's a couple movies ah. that I have been spending 10 years saying were not good that I revisited this weekend, and it turns out they are pretty damn good. Okay. And that is Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. Mm-hmm. And I think the 2003-2004 me, um, is that when they came out? 03 and 04? I believe, yes, yes. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, I think I was at a point where I was probably over-intellectualizing everything. Mm-hmm. A, that's a big part of it. I thought that, um, whereas I saw... Um, uh, I saw Jackie Brown as being a smart movie about aging and all this stuff. I, I thought there was, I, I, I found at the time Kill Bill. I, th- I found it to be thin. Yeah, I and thought I it was think, a step backwards at the time. Volume one certainly. Volume two, I liked a lot. And I think uh, I was obviously wrong about that. But I was also both in life and in cinema um, lacking a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. One thing that I have seen uh, still not much of compared to the the real fans of the genre, but martial arts films in general, I've seen a lot more of those in the last 10 years than I had in college. It, was, it, it remains something of a blind spot to me, but it was a huge blind spot back then. And it makes me think I also need to revisit Crouching Tiger because mm. I think the stuff that happens in Kill Bill Volume 1 and, and Volume 2, things like in the Crazy 88s fight, there's a guy like who leaps from the ground to the balcony. Right. And I thought, that's stupid. Hmm. At the time, I thought, that's really stupid. And, like, uh, what's the character's name? The, the Pai Mei? Is that the uh, the teacher she goes to see in yeah. the second one? Or we see the flashbacks in the second one? Like, him standing on her sword or, like, flipping his... Like, that's the kind of stuff that I thought, oh, Tarantino's not taking this seriously. He's, like... I thought that he was intentionally being campy. Not... Because it was displaying my lack of understanding of... Of that, of that I genre. I did not know that was your primary criticism of it. Uh, yeah, it felt like he wasn't taking it seriously. Whereas the... I, my, my thing was I thought he was being low ambition. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I think this is a very ambitious yeah. uh, couple of movies. Low ambition, like in 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 concept. In execution, of course, it was wonderful. And I don't necessarily think that anymore. I think, honestly, <clears throat> when we see what his career would would go on to become you know jackie brown didn't get us ready did not prepare us for what was going 
for the later well, I, sta- the second half of his career. But you know, what? I think the being being white westerners. Mm-hmm. I think the movies that he was quoting in his first three films mm-hmm. seemed more. Uh, substantive to us than the movie he's movies he's quoting in Kill Bill, and so I think right. it was um, maybe an almost defensive ignorance on our part to think of the 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 the, the genre or the setting of Kill Bill to be like you said low ambition. I think mm-hmm. it was us just not understanding um, a, a, a whole world of film. I also thought at the time that it was kind of a self indulgent type thing that he was just. Doing st- like paying homage, and I still think that's about death proof, by the way. But like paying homage to this thing that he really loved, that ultimately most of them not that good. And uh, but of course, that's but I haven't seen most of them. That yeah, so I, think, at the time, I think a lot of them are really good. You just have to <coughs> learn how to watch them. I, and I, perhaps I, the reason that I like Kill Bill Volume 2 more at the time and now is because I had seen more spaghetti westerns at the time than I had seen martial arts films. Because the second one has more that vibe, and the first one has more the martial arts film vibe. But the second one has the, um, you know, in 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 the first one it has the uh, Japanese samurai stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the second one has it does have the spaghetti, spaghetti western stuff, but it also has the um, Pai Mei, which is more uh, yeah. in the wuxia sub 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 genre. Yeah. You know, where there's a certain magical realism to the, these martial arts, and that stuff was. Just completely lost on me at the time. Yeah, maybe uh, although you I, I had a crouching tiger. I think yeah, which like I, is very much what I understand, and in, in my memory, it fits in with the wuxia thing. Um, but it would be shortly after Kill Bill that I would see um, Master of the Flying Guillotine, which is a movie that I, I think the first time I saw it because it was released in theaters. It was like a new print before its Blu-ray release, and I saw it in the theater. And the first time I saw it, I thought this is fun, but silly and i thought i think i thought i was enjoying it maybe in a somewhat ironic way yeah but i have continued to return to that movie yeah because i think it's um uh just really awesome stuff i still haven't seen it but i do remember the line that you told me <laughs> in which a character called wins without a knife right <laughs> is so the character's name is wins without a knife so he goes in <laughs> to the tournament to yeah. the tournament and in a match he pulls a knife and kills someone with it, and so he wins with a knife. And so then it cuts to, I think, our hero uh, watching, and he goes, so he did have a knife after all. And I, <laughs> I still haven't seen the movie, but man, I remember you came back from the theater, and you're like, I gotta tell you this thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I lost... What I, oh, yeah, okay. So I, But I think there is... Um, a lot more in that movie about um i think there's a lot more to the emotional lives of the characters than i gave it credit for at mm-hmm. the time um yeah uma thurman's turning in great work like the best yeah, yeah. of her career uh you know who else i think is doing the best of her career is lucy Liu, who was my least favorite by far my least favorite part of both movies in when i saw it 10 years ago interesting now the part i guess spoilers the part where she's being inducted into the as the head of the yakuza, and the one yakuza boss has a problem with her uh, half Chinese heritage and mm-hmm. and or her being American born, and she cuts off his head, and then gives a speech where she like she cuts off his head like you blink and you miss it, and then she gives a speech starting out being very sweet like I'm going to be 
I want to be an understanding leader. If you have any problems, I will always be able, you know, uh, no subject is taboo except for the one that was just brought up. And then she gets a little more involved and she's like, you know, uh, she says, uh, uh, you know, any, if any of you bring up my heritage as a negative, the price is I collect your fucking head. And then she holds up the head you didn't realize she had in her hand and yeah. says, just like this fucker. And then she screams, like, if any of you sons of bitches got any more questions, now's now the, the fucking, fucking time. time. Yeah. And I teared up. Okay. All right. That's <laughs> it was not... such a powerful moment and, like, grew so perfectly in that little speech uh, to to this, to this like, swell that, uh, yeah, I teared up. That's odd. The character I responded to, the, she she is great in that. And I liked uh, Vivica A. Fox. Mm-hmm. I thought she was great. I, I think everybody's great in She's not in very much. She's not in very much, but she makes an impact yeah, with yeah, what she has. Um, but I think Michael Madsen is the, Bud, uh-huh. is the character that I just, because everyone's doing well but him. <laughs> He's the only one that things, and, and like, <clears throat> the little chuckle he gives when his brother says like, you know, how are your, I don't know exactly what he says, but like, how are your sword fighting skills? Uh-huh. And he just gives it like, <laughs> like, like not great. Like, and well, I, I think, also like, if you'll pardon me, this is who I am as a person. I like that, you know, all these people, they just, you know, they're, all these characters are flipping around with their swords and they're uh-huh. really, you know, going to town on each other. Guess what? The guy with the gun won. Basically, had he used bullets instead of rock salt, problem solved. Yeah, yeah. And so that's because I always look for the Tyler surrogate in movies. That's that's him. But I also think, uh, yeah, it is funny that he's not doing well. But I I also think I I I think it's funny. I think it's sad. Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. But I something I didn't pick up on is the the thread of um, uh, about family in 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 the movie. There are all these. There's actual family you know the baby that she was having was uh you know that's blood family you know uh what was was bills um and then there's these families you know are the five deadly whatever the deadly venom viper assassination i can't remember the name of it but are they are they a family because they seem to have a respect for each other but also have a lot of (coughs) familiar familial sibling type rivalries yeah um there's the yakuza sort of idea of a of uh, of a family and um, we see this, the Deadly Venom Viper Squad is Uma Thurman, Vivica A. Fox, Lucy Liu, Daryl Hannah, who are all incredibly well-trained and fit and smart. And then there's Bud, yeah. who you get the impression is only a part of this because he's Bill's brother. Yeah. And that he would never was probably the equal of them. I, like, he has let himself go, but I, I doubt he was ever at their level. Probably. Well, and that's, and that is part of the fun, is imagining how, like, the, oh, well, I guess you can't do a prequel now because uh, David Carradine's gone. But like, mm-hmm. but just like, oh, I just I want to see these people in action because because I did have the thought. It's like, you know, he certainly would never have been their equal as far as like the you know hand to hand combat mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. But it's just like, but he does have a good instinct, mm-hmm. and again, gun like <laughs> gun wins, mm-hmm. and so like this isn't the they didn't he didn't try to make it the Matrix where they can dodge bullets, <laughs> and so like. Um, but also what I what I thought was interesting as far as the relationship between Bill and Bud, they don't like each other. They don't seem to care for each other. But Bill does call Bud to warn him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then Bud does – is angry at uh, uh, Kiddo 
for like breaking his brother's heart. Yeah, yeah. So it's this weird little. Yeah, they're still brothers. They're still brothers. Yeah. It's 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 fascinating. Uh, well, I'm glad that you uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed them. So yes, again, Mia Copa, I've been wrong for ten years. Uh, although I, who knows? Maybe I'll watch them another ten years and I'll find them to be trite or something. I don't know. Well, David, I tell you, this makes for a great transition because... Well, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Because, you know, there are these there are these movies that you watched when you were younger and you had a response to them, you know. Because uh, I thought I knew it all. You thought you knew it all. And I never... Then, by the way, I mean, I'm... I'm being so deprecating. I never was that big a snob. Are you sure? I <laughs> I feel like maybe you're a massive narcissist. Um, oh, with that's a massive not the ego. same thing. Yeah, yeah. Massive ego. You also have a massive ego. Let's not forget that. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I am definitely a narcissist, but that doesn't mean I was always uh, snob. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, I was snobbier than I am now, which I'm sure there are some listeners who are wondering how that's possible, but. Uh, uh, I think they can picture it. I have actually learned a lot of. I, I think I've. I, I think I've learned a lot of humility, and I and I, I ratcheted <laughs> I ratcheted up for the show. I'm playing a bit of an exaggerated version yes. of myself on the podcast. But the thing is, part okay. Part of I would say like your your humility, and I would say I was the same way. Certainly, like in high school, I thought I knew a lot. College, I thought I knew a lot, and then after college, it's just like you know, I think I. I think for the most part, I, I get it. I don't really know much. Um, but I still, you know, I'll still have, uh, you might have heard it, uh, you know, in discussing people that would walk out of, of Spring Breakers. Like, I still have, every once in a while have this little Arab superiority from time to time. But the best way to, I, I feel like the best way to but does it- gain humility when it comes to what we're talking about is to just see more movies. Like, you, you talked about, like, you dismissed these movies and then you saw the movies that, Tarantino was trying to emulate mm-hmm. and that gave you so uh, you know it changed who you were as a as a film goer and so that gave you perspective not on what you not merely on what you will see from now on but what you have seen in the past um does it always uh, I I, I want to hold this because I, I want to say this right now um does it also humble you to think when you're when you catch yourself sneering at someone who doesn't like "quote unquote" get a movie that mm-hmm. you like, does it humble you to think like, "Oh right, those there's something they know about that I don't"? Be it something else uh, in in culture, or could it be that they could they could build a deck on their house or or or, or fix their car? Uh, and and you and I, I, I don't know. I I have some, I have. Minor skills with a car because my dad was a mechanic. I picked mm-hmm. up some stuff, but yeah, I uh, like I need to I need to install to to put some shelves in. A, we have a we have a pantry that is essentially it's very tall, but only like the bottom of it is useful because there's no shelves in it. Right. So it's kind of annoying. It's like wasted space. So I'm gonna build some shelves in there, yeah. and I'm like, there are probably people. I'm sh- I know there are people who are 30 years old who could do that in their sleep i have yeah. to like think about and like look up what do i need how am i gonna do this yeah well the last two months have really been uh, i was always i was already well aware that i'm not like handy or anything <laughs> like that uh but i tell you what be a be a be a film nerd and podcaster heading on uh, walking into home depot <laughs> and then say like and then talking to any employee and say, oh, this, you could, is what, this is what I'm looking well, for. Uh, 
Congrats to you for locating and tracking down an employee at a Home Depot. It requires boldness. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, Not easy to come by. And man, they, uh, you are, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be handing them a million dollars and you are wasting their time. <laughs> They've got somewhere to be and it is not with you. And so um, there was one guy that was super nice. But, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, just you, you try to say like, oh, yes, so I need, you know, also, I also have to do something with shelves, but they don't make uh, – Ikea doesn't make the shelves that I uh, use anymore. So I had to – it's like, all right, so here's the lumber section. Maybe they have them that's my cut exactly. Uh-huh. And uh, so I talked – that because I can stain them myself. That's not terrible. And so I just like, okay, so, so – yeah, See, that's the part I would hate the most. Really? Because I, I don't want to get that stuff in my hands. Fair enough. But the thing, the thing that the guy's like, he goes, well, what you're going to, he's like, oh, well, this, this is the, you know, this is the thickness that you're looking for and the width and all that. He's like, you know, it's longer than what you're looking for, but I'm sure, you know, you just get a saw in there. I'm like, <laughs> saw, that's cute. No, I'm sorry. I don't do that. So what I, mean, I won't do. They, don't you walk in with the measurements and they cut it for you at Home Depot? That's what I thought, but no, they didn't. I was did. able to do that when I was building my washers set, which people uh, people in most parts of the country don't know. It's a it's a yard game. Oh, okay. Where you oh, toss washers, wa- yeah, yeah. And I was building a box to for uh, I built my own washers box, because um, that's the way that my dad mm-hmm. did it. You know, uh, I wanted to do that, and yeah, I just told them what I I picked out the wood. It was longer than I needed. I said I need so many of this length and so many of this length and they did it for yeah. me and i said uh is this something you guys do because i really by the way you talk about playing things up when i'm at uh home depot i really play up my not knowing how to do things not that i have to play it up that hard but no, just but like, i know what you're doing just you're... that kind of thing where it's like it's self-deprecation basically but and you're also polishing their ego Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's like when I go to my mechanic and I uh, and I say, like, okay, so I don't know anything about cars, and uh, my car is making a noise. This is something I said to my mechanic once. It's like, my car is making a noise. They're like, well, what's it like? I'm like, well, the only thing I can I can d- describe it, it's sort of like a banshee. <laughs> it's making like a banshee noise. <laughs> and they started laughing, and it's like, all right, they're laughing. At, I've got some power over them because I've made them laugh. Now he's just going to charge or, me a whole bunch yeah, of money. Yeah, they're laughing me. because they're like, oh, we yeah. can charge this guy. We can tell this guy anything. I know, but you know what? I got. I had one little triumph, which was I got them laughing at right. the way I've, I worded something. No. But anyway, and so, uh, no, I've, I've definitely, I have that constantly, which is like, it's like, hey, you know, I, I, I can talk about movies at length. <laughs> boy, oh, boy. Not the marketable skill you would have thought. Yeah. You know, ex- you know what? Except for tweaked audio. Yeah, they're the only ones that believe in us. They recognize <laughs> what we what we're working with. They get it. Well, let's okay. So your plan you took the m- month off to watch movies. Let's talk about what you watched. Okay, you got a little list there. I do. I am probably going to embarrass myself by revealing that I have not seen many of these films. Well, it's don't worry. Like when I realized <laughs> how like I really didn't have that much time, like cutting out this and more than one lesson. And some of the other responsibilities that I had, I really only allowed myself like ten nights. Yeah, that's what I thought when um, when you told me you're going to do this is like because I know how much time it takes to do this, and I was like, that's not you know, it's not a vacation. Like you're not right. you're not taking that much time off. Yeah, but it's really just my Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are always busy with something, mm-hmm. um, and then I got to fit more than one lesson in there somewhere. And so by my by those three, you know, that's three nights uh, a week. Mm-hmm. And then 
I had to go back to my Monday night uh, responsibility uh, early. But anyway, so um, those jerks. I know. Every time you think you're out, they pull you back in. Yeah, and so, um, but yeah, so I really didn't get to see that much. And so when I was looking at the larger list and trying to figure out what I would watch based on that larger list of movies I had not seen, that's when I was like, ugh, this these ten movies are not going to even make a dent. This is just, <laughs> this is ridiculous. You should just get out of the business. Business, that's generous. It, I, I went down kind of a rabbit hole. Anyway, so, <clears throat> all right. But yeah, what I was saying uh, earlier is, is you know, the, the, the humbling thing of like, you know, the, every movie that you watch becomes a part of you and it changes the way you, you'll see the next movie. And so, you know, by watching Master of the Flying Guillotine numerous times, it's changed the way you've, you've seen Kill Bill. Uh-huh. So... That that was kind of what started me doing this, the idea that I would remove myself from the podcast so that I might come back and do it better with these movies having – now they are now a part of me and so that kind of thing. So kind of a lofty idea. So all right. <clears throat> I started off with Jean Cocteau's uh, Beauty and the Beast. Seen that one. Okay. I saw that uh, at the Music Box in Chicago. I didn't. I didn't frequent that theater enough, especially those like early morning screenings and stuff. Yeah, I, I don't you know and I went and saw Scarlet Empress. We saw Scarlet Empress. Yeah, I also saw The Great Escape. Uh, which here's the thing: The Great Escape. I think it's a lot of fun. It's not actually a great movie, I but if you, if you get a chance to see it in a movie theater, mm-hmm. you should do it. Okay, fair enough. It's it's a big epic sort of movie theater type experience. Okay, and didn't you once see? Uh, what is it? The bitter tea of General oh, Yen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. early Capra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bitter tea of General Yen. Yeah, I yeah. saw that there. But yeah, I only saw that one morning because it was a 10 a.m. Saturday screening. I'm like 10 a.m. Jeez, <laughs> that's early for me. Yeah, but uh, <coughs> you could you could walk there. I used to walk, um, and about at the halfway point, um, I guess a little earlier than the halfway point, but just past Wrigley, mm-hmm. there was a McDonald's. Yeah, I walk in, grab my breakfast sandwich. And eat it on the second half of the walk, and uh, and then watch my movie. Man, oh man, a long w- waking up early to take a long walk, and admittedly, you reward yourself with a movie. But yeah, still, and a long walk often when it was snowing <laughs> or something. Yeah, man, <laughs> our lives were kind of depressing at the time. Oh. So I, actually, I, I, it wasn't so bad. We were watching a lot of movies at the time. Okay, so anyway, so Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> There's what? a lot of people who would say that's depressing. <laughs> But I do. I'm look, not like, one of them. I have a like, you know. I have a, bit, I have a life that I love now, and I wouldn't trade my life for anything. But there are times that I romanticize. Like I was going to the movies a lot back Damn. then. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, okay. So yeah, I really, I really liked the movie. I don't think I necessarily loved it, but I enjoyed it a great deal. It uh, had you know the the magical realism that you were talking about. It had a mm-hmm. genuinely uh, heartbreaking performance on the part of I don't remember the actor's name, but he the guy who played the Beast. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they did, they just were really committed to creating this dreamlike, uh, atmosphere and making it seem, it reminded me of, um, you and I took a class on David Lean and, uh, Michael Powell mm-hmm. and it reminded me of the sort of magical realism of, uh, Powell and Pressburger. Um, you know, what is it? Um, Thief of Baghdad and stuff oh, like that, yeah, which yeah. is not necessarily magical realism, certainly, but it was kind of this fantasy sort of thing, but, uh, using, a combination of like you know matte paintings and practical uh, effects to to create this dreamy quality and uh, Beauty and the Beast certainly has that. Um, like as you're walking along the uh, you know walking along inside Beast Castle, 
um, and the candlesticks are arms that move. Uh-huh. It's it's really it's I don't know it it was a really it was a really solid movie that I'm happy that I watched. Okay. Okay. Next up was R. W. Fassbender's Ali: Fear Eats the Soul. Never seen it. I loved it. It is probably my favorite of the movies that I saw. It is. You told me that at about the halfway point that it was your favorite, and so it it stayed on top. It stayed on top, but th- there's some competition in here that I'll tell you about later. But uh, so, you know, it's about this woman in. Uh, oh hell! See now I don't remember. It, it's been a while. It's been, again. I saw a lot more movies since then. But uh, basically, this this older uh, German woman who, <coughs> excuse me, makes friends with. Uh, uh, this immigrant, and there's this social stigma. It's very much uh, his, his um, pardon me, his um, homage to uh, Douglas Sirk. It has that feeling mm. where, like, she gets romantically involved with this uh, immigrant who's much younger, uh, and so all of the uh, <laughs> her building seems to be full of like old women who aren't married and have nothing better to do than look at her life and judge her. Um, and so it's just a very and it's just handled in such an interesting way, like wonderful performances all the way around. And just, uh, mo- I'd say mostly unflinching, like the emotional complexity of their specific relationship where, you know, it's these two lonely people who, who find each other and and genuinely seem to really love and care for each other. But then, of course, he's a younger man and she's much older and... After he gets that, you know, that initial because they get married. And so, like, after he gets the initial, like, okay, I'm not lonely anymore, but I'm now I'm still young. Now I'm a young man married to an old woman. Mm -hmm. And so it's 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 that sort of thing. And and meanwhile, she's still trying to maintain what their marriage was. And it's just a just a really wonderful film with just amazing performances. And I just it's it's the first uh, Fassbender film I had seen. And uh, and what a title, too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's they really. Ali is the name of the of, character, and then Fear is the soul is something he says. It always makes me think of Dune. Fear is the mind killer. Whoa, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that. What is that? It's from Dune. The, you never read or saw Dune? No, I never finished reading Dune. I, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, nerds, but like, uh, we've all got our limits. Both Dune and the first um, Lord of the Rings book. I was like. Oof, life's too short. <laughs> I, I like, like, I'm okay with you thinking I'm a philistine for preferring the movies in both cases. Although I don't love the Dune movie, but I was like, this is not my cup of tea. <clears throat> yeah, look, we've all got places to be. All right. Yeah. Um, I, I realize we just denigrated the idea of reading. Sorry, everybody. No, I, I read plenty. You know, uh, Entertainment Weekly, GQ. Um, <laughs> But uh, speaking, I wanted to say because uh, you won't appreciate this, but I was so happy I got this choice. Um, uh, my throat was hurting because I was sick recently, mm-hmm. and my coworker offered me some tea. But it was like she was like, "Oh, I have I have chocolate and caramel and vanilla flavors, all things that I don't I don't I don't have much of a sweet tooth that sounds like a turnoff." So mm-hmm. I got to say, literally, that is not my cup of tea. Why would you say I wouldn't appreciate that? Because look at your face. You don't appreciate it. I have an you are appreciation annoyed. for it. You are annoyed. Yeah, you're all an, right. You're not, and the thing is, here's the thing. You're not annoyed by 
the fact that I got to say that you're annoyed that I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah, kind of. No, don't get me wrong. It's uh, I'm I'm happy for you. Uh, but yes, it's also just the the again. It's that it's not a video podcast. You cannot see the self satisfied <laughs> smile on his face. Okay, so moving on. I like to think they can hear it. Oh, I th- oh, I think it comes through. Um, but anyway, uh, so moving on because we do have uh, a number of movies to get to. Um, next was uh, uh, Carl Theodore Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc. Never seen it. I know that's a big one. That is a big one for me. <laughs> yeah, I big uh, black mark. It is fascinating. Yeah, it's it's you know a silent film and it's uh, dialogue heavy, which is pretty rare for silent movies. Like. Um, and it's it's okay. You know how in I'm sorry to use like a a, a later film to 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 help with this, but uh, okay. So you know, Twelve Angry Men. By the end of the movie, it's all cl- it's like almost all close-ups. It's yeah. these really claustrophobic close-ups. So much of this film is that like these really just you know it's in on Joan. You know the people. You know the the judges and the cardinals and just all the people that are that are you know. Wanting to, uh, no, not everybody's wanting to hurt her. Some people actually want to save her. And that's, so that's the thing. There's a spiritual complexity there where these characters, they do have what I would describe as like a Christian sympathy for this 19 year old girl who's just trying to do this thing. But it's also, you know, very much of the time. And so, like, well, surely God wouldn't have told you this or this because obviously he told us this. And so, like, there's not a lot of introspection of like, oh, well, maybe it's. Maybe it's smaller and yet bigger at the same time. Maybe we're just seeing it through our cultural movie? filter. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, everybody. Um, I think it was 22. I don't have the year in front of me, but it's it's early 20s. Wow. But um, Or maybe it's late 20s. Damn it. I don't have it in front of me. I'm, I'm sorry. You, it out. you can look it up. But, um, but yeah, and so just you know, great performances. Here's the thing. I watched it on uh, Hulu Plus, and the version they have on Hulu Plus is is indeed silent. There's not even music to go with it. Oh, wow. Which is not... Are you, know, you sure you didn't just accidentally have your computer on mute? I was watching it on my television, okay. and I had everything turned on. Oh, don't get me wrong. I, for a minute, I was like, I feel like this is on me somehow. I must have done something wrong. But no, I did everything, and sure enough, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it uh, it stayed silent. And I know people that have seen it with music. Um, watching it silent turned out to be a very interesting experience because... It it somehow makes you pay attention even more because you're like, man, silence. When's the last time you've sat in silence in general? Like, it doesn't happen very often. 1928. 28. Okay, so it was late 20s. Sorry, everybody. But, um, but yeah, and so I, it was just such an odd experience in general because I certainly was not expecting that style of filmmaking from that film. Uh, though I certainly see why it regularly shows up in the top 10, uh, the sight and sound top 10. Um Everyone should see it. It is, I would say, it is up there as far as like, as far as modern techniques. I think it's up there with uh, Potemkin. Like, oh. I think, I think you got to see it. I think you'd love it. Okay, moving on. Uh, I was supposed to see Tarkovsky's Solaris. I, I've seen that one. Unfortunately, <coughs> uh, due to a number of uh, unforeseen circumstances, uh, my work day wound up being extended and suddenly I could not commit to a three hour movie. So instead 
I watched um, Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, which is a 90-minute movie. I have not seen that. All right. Man, my, my blind spots are your blind spots. Well, we're buddies. <laughs> so anyway, um, the uh, yeah, and I loved I loved Virgin Spring. There's one there's one little part that's a little frustrating, and it's it's more of a storytelling uh, issue where it very abruptly jumps from one circumstance to another, uh, and and it took me a minute to be like, oh, I feel like I feel like there's a scene missing <clears throat> here, but uh, but aside from that, it's a gorgeous movie, and it's just a. Uh, for those that don't know, and I'm sorry to put it in so, so crass a term, but the movie uh, Last House on the Left uh, would yeah would come to uh, be inspired by the Virgin Spring. But it's, I gotta imagine it's better than the Last House on the Left. You know what? Not much. <laughs> Maybe like uh, you know, like if one's a B minus, the other's a, uh, other's a B. Have you seen Last House on the Left? No, I haven't. It's really. It's not. It's really not for me. There I'm are trying to avoid l- being mean because I know there are people who love it. But there I are people that love it. Yeah, really dislike that. I've gone on to like things that Wes Craven has made. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I do not like. Yeah, it's talk about tonal shifts. Oh, I'm sure it's an it's like early Wes Craven, right? Like, yeah, I think it would be. Is it his first? It I'm not sure. First. I don't but know. Uh, but yeah, and so so I I I, I always hate it when somebody uses like. Um, a movie that was inspired by this movie to define it, but um, especially since I haven't seen Last, on the, Last House on the Left. But the story, the story is basically uh, is very similar, where it's just this uh, this very naive young woman uh, from a farm goes out into the forest with uh, her sister. Yes, yeah, his first. Okay, <clears throat> well, that would explain some things because I think he's gotten a little bit more polished since then. <laughs> But uh, maybe too much. But uh, but yeah, and her sister has been in the past. It's not it's not stated whether she, uh, like overtly whether she was like raped or if she was just you know just did this with some guy who then treated her poorly afterwards. Um, but either way, she's pregnant, so she is very aware of like she's very cynical, very aware of like the ways of the world. Meanwhile, her younger sister, who's just Who's tr- who is like idolized by her parents? She just thinks no good, no bad could ever come to her or the people that she loves. And then she runs across these three uh, brothers who are like sheep herders, and they're just these animalistic guys. And I got to tell you, like the scene of attack mm-hmm. um, is very unnerving. Um, I mean, based on what I've heard of like la- you know Last House on the Left, it's not quite as unnerving as that. Yeah, that's very upsetting. But I mean, it's. You know, I I gotta say, years ago, uh, during my last two weeks at Blockbuster, uh, I would just throw in any movie I wanted to. Not mm-hmm. any movie, because I recognize it's a family store, so I would go with movies like pre-65. Okay. Um, I threw in Cape Fear one day, and there's a... You've seen Cape Fear, uh-huh. right? Okay. I've, I've seen both of them. All right. I like the original more, but that's... Uh, I, Scorsese's I like the doing more too, but I really like Scorsese's movies. Yeah, he's trying to do something very different, yeah. and uh, which I did, which not unlike uh, not unlike yourself, when I revisited uh, Scorsese's Cape Fear, I was like, I I got it. Okay, he's not okay. He's not <laughs> trying to emulate our reality. It's more of this yeah. heightened, pulpy yeah. kind of thing. Anyway, <clears throat> but uh, <clears throat> so I put the original Cape Fear on, which was fine, but there comes a time. When Max Cady is going after um, 
Uh, hell. I don't remember the name of uh, of Gregory Peck's character, but Max Cady's Robert Mitchum. So he's going after uh, the counselor's uh, wife, and it's just the two of them. And, and she is, like, really breathing heavily, and she's, like, letting out these moans. He's not touching her. Uh-huh. He's, like, stalking her, uh-huh. like, face-to-face. Like, he's just closing in on her, and she's just very panic- panicked and, make- and breathing very... And I was like... And so I'm not really watching. It's just on. But that sound is every bit... Like, it's very yeah, yeah. disturbing. Yeah. And I, I was like... You know, if there's a, if there was a customer here, they would probably be a little disturbed by what is what they are hearing. So I actually like skip to the next scene, you know, in case anybody were to walk in. I don't want to get complaints, even if I am two weeks away from retirement. <laughs> and so, um, but that's how I felt with Virgin Spring. Is like you know, you really don't have to. Don't get me wrong. I I enjoy like well done gore and all that kind of thing. But at the same time. I enjoy a well-done rape scene. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> but um, do you know what I would consider, by the way? Um, speaking of uh, animalistic uh, rural rural folk, one of, if not the most disturbing deaths in any movie ever to me is Deliverance. The 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 first guy to get the arrow. Never saw that. Oh, that's in that's your blind spot. You should see Deliverance. It's I know. amazing. I know. Um, and. Yeah, the the first guy, the, the the first time someone dies in deliverance. There's not that many deaths in deliverance, by the way. But um, the first one is, oh, it's a game changer. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah, and so like it's, so this this uh, this scene of attack and and rape. I mean, it's it sure like it's it's it certainly isn't graphic by our standards, but man, it is so harrowing. And it's just done with that bleak, relentless Ingmar Bergman style. And by the way, the fact that so horrible a thing is happening in so picturesque a place uh-huh. is uh, is really quite disconcerting. And then the eventual uh, revenge that uh, that the girls' uh, parents uh, they inflict. No, exact, exact. Thank you. That's what you do with revenge. Yeah, you sure do. You could probably exact other things, but it seems like exacting goes with revenge. Yeah. You really, you don't want to half-ass it. And so, um, but yeah, so the, and it's just a, but it also seems to really uh, explore the moral, like like any good movie about revenge will probably do, it explores the, the moral ramifications of, of that sort of thing. But it was just a beautiful movie. Um, again, beautiful and yet so horrifying at times. It's, it, I, I can't really describe it, but it was, it was a really great movie. Uh, so then I watched uh, something new. Um, I watched uh, like someone in love. Oh yeah, which uh, you've seen. Yes, and uh, I this is, you and I already talked about this. We talked about it uh, not on mic. Yeah, I know. But and I'll just say, like, that, oh, I gotta get back into this conversation. No, well, I'll just <laughs> I was just going to sum up and say that uh, that I wanted to like it more, um, but there are parts of it that are some of the best filmmaking of the year. I, I would assume, having not seen very many movies this year. But uh, there's a scene where the main character, one of the main characters, is in yeah. a cab listening to her voicemail. And man, oh man. Yeah, it's pretty early on. It's I pretty think, early I on. I think it's pretty early on. But that movie, I feel like, I don't know. This is a complete compliment, one of the best compliments I could give. At no point in the movie did I really feel like I had an impression of how long I'd been watching it. <laughs> it, it, it. It has a sort of, uh, <coughs> it's sort of hypnotizing, I think. And in, in, in a way, would like when I think about it, like that first scene. Oh yeah, even that that first shot. 
before you actually see mm-hmm. the the main character in the first shot like goes on a long time but it didn't feel like it i felt like the movie just sort of like it's like a a warm bath well that's not a bad a good example because i don't I don't like baths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're just laying that. You're just uh, sitting there in your own filth. It's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Um, you and I are on the same page when it yeah. comes to baths. Yeah. But yeah. Gross. Uh, yeah. The first, I'd say, probably thirty to forty minutes are amazing. Um, and then after that, there are certain like structural and character issues that kind of bother me, but I still like it. I think I, I liked it more than uh, the uh, the people that I saw it with, which was uh, Josh Long and uh, friend of the show guest host Jason Eakin. Ah. So um, okay. So then I moved into the uh, the Three Colors trilogy, which I devoted a week oh, to. I love that stuff. Um, and then in between Dig blue it. and white, I watched another movie, which I was not intending to do, but I'm happy that I did. But uh, So I'll talk about the Three Colors trilogy in general. Uh, so I would say Ali Furyts the Soul is my favorite movie. But the Three Colors trilogy, taken as one unit, is, cl- is, is like nipping at its heels. Like, it was amazing... I thought it was wonderful. I had seen Red before um, in a class. And of course, Red is the third one. Mm-hmm. You have no real context for it. And you don't really, you don't, that, really you don't need, need that much. Yeah. The ending makes a little, <laughs> much more sense. <laughs> yeah. um, or rather, it, ha- it means more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, watching the three of them and just each of them being a, uh, sort of a different genre, but not really like... Like white, I think white might be my favorite one. It's, white it's or funny. red? I um, that's one like, uh, it's unlike Kill Bill in the sense that I like these, mm-hmm. but I do feel like I've changed since the last time I watched them, mm-hmm. and I feel like I would probably like white a lot more now than I did then. I think white was probably my least favorite at the mm-hmm. time, uh, and I think again it probably goes back to a bit of snobbishness that I still have, um, that I fight against. Um, about uh, about maybe genre about sort of mm-hmm. subconsciously like thinking something like blue that is a very that is has always been my favorite that's a very you know uh, intense like you know uh, intellectual and emotional drama yeah. is somehow automatically more important than white which is uh, as much as it's also about character it's uh, it's it's also a crime dark a dark crime comedy yeah <laughs> yeah and, and i think emphasis on comedy yeah yeah but it's not it never gives itself over to that either like it never just lets itself be a straight-up comedy not not to say that it disrespects comedy but it's just this weird thing where like comedic things are happening but in a very serious way it, it's astounding to me and and there's this real heartbreaking yearning uh, between these two characters that you don't find in most comedies, and yeah, there's a character who uh, is very sad and he wants to die, and mm-hmm. like there, there's stuff that would be in you know a, a very you know very uh, moving drama, but it's in this very strange, uh, well structured, fast paced comedy that I just yeah. that I just loved. And then when I watched Red, I hadn't seen it in. I think eight years at this point. Um, when I watched the Red, I was I was like, "Oh, this this is this is pretty great." So I love all three. I like if to say that one is my favorite, it's like somehow I feel like I'm doing injustice to the other two. Like as one unit, they really like they can exist separately, certainly, but like as one unit, somehow they just are this 
Yeah, I need to do, amazing masterpiece. Do, do, a, do a rewatch. So. I feel like I want to expand expand upon what I what I said about genre because people who maybe have listened for a long time and actually remember the things that I say, which I can't imagine, um, might be scratching their heads because I'm such a defender of genre, and that's because from high school to present, I have con- consistently tried to be because I think my default. Film snobbery when I first started getting into film back in high school was to view genre on a lower level. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously wrong. And you and I have often talked about, I think we both had the same favorite professor in in college who taught, I think he I think he taught our David Lee and Michael Powell class that you mentioned. The Falzone? Yeah, Ron Falzone, yeah. who would uh, always insist in that and other classes I'd taken with him, there's nothing you can say in cinema that you can't say in genre cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the most important lessons I've learned, and sometimes I get frustrated at the fact that, that I seem to still have these built-in biases. Yeah. Um, and I'm fighting against them. But, uh, yeah, I know I'm wrong there. I think my bias comes in because, you know, the the big thing that we often learn is, you know, like what he said, like there's nothing you can say that you can't say in genre. And genre often frees you to say it in often a more overt way. And so I think where my snobbery comes in is when there's a genre movie that is not taking advantage <laughs> of the free pass that people often give. And it's like you, it's like you're content to just be this. You you but, could well, have a message, but, but if, I also think I, I don't think that's correct. But I do find myself kind of leaning that way sometimes because I also think, and this goes to something we've talked about many times. Um, sometimes genre, the, the fact that when you're working with uh, almost mythic. Uh, formulas and tropes uh, that we all recognize I think that's where you get stuff that ends up coming out of movies subconsciously mm-hmm. uh, and I, so I think that stuff's very important too yeah. um, anyway that's uh, off topic yeah that's probably another it's probably an episode we've done I don't know I don't even remember <laughs> anymore and neither do I but uh, do you remember a while ago when I came like over to your house and I was like I got a great idea for an episode and you're like we did that two months ago <laughs> yeah hey you know it's nice to know you agree with yourself but uh anyway okay so uh in between blue and white i here's what happened i felt like watching something but i also had work to do so i figured okay i'm gonna watch something that's that's like pure dialogue which is a and something maybe i don't i may not care that much about ultimately so i decided to watch my dinner with andre which part of which if you really think about it you could just take the dialogue from that put it in an audio form it's like an episode of a podcast really yeah, yeah. um however i uh was so intrigued by it i couldn't work while i was watching anymore so i i for i forwent work and i just watched the movie mm-hmm. and uh it is astounding yeah, I, I that one I've seen as well. I love that movie, and it's it's two people, it's two guys in a booth having philosophical discussions. Yeah, and sometimes about some stuff that, even though it's stuff that I tend to roll my eyes at, yeah, you know, uh, just stuff that I find like maybe a little new agey or, or oh, no question, uh, that crap. It's still fascinating to to watch, and it's mostly Andre. I mean, they both talk, yeah, but it's mostly about how magnetic. Andre is yes but and and that's the thing is like 
when it was mostly him, I found it very easy to just be like, all right, yeah, theater director who uh, came up in the 60s. This should be, <laughs> I think I got it. Um, <clears throat> but I think what really makes it go from good to great is when Wallace Shawn does chime in with his philosophy, and then you get these two guys who both seem, who both have very different views of yeah. the world, and yet both of them are equally unsatisfied. Yeah. Or dissatisfied. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Now that, now that you say that out loud, Wallace Shawn's point of view is closer to mine in terms of yeah. it's a little more um, empirical or pragmatic. Yeah, yeah, pragmatic and just kind of a... Yeah, and, and in a way, like, you can look at his, and I'd say probably most people, including mine, like, if I, like I'm a spiritual person, and yet looking at Andre, I'm like... Well, I mean, I'm not him. Uh, it's like, I, I don't agree with Wallace Shawn's character, but I feel like in my everyday life, I'm probably closer to him than the other guy. Uh-huh. Um, but like, you know, but both men like make good points and it never feels like a debate. It's just a conversation. And it's just, and it's riveting. Like, it's just so fascinating. Like, what you can do with dialogue, how you can reveal character. Admittedly, the characters are talking about what they believe, but they're not ta- they're not talking about how they got there. They're not talking about the experiences in their lives that got them there. Now, Andre is talking about these stories, but he's not talking about what preceded those. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like where he was before. You know, like when I was younger, and to a certain extent now, I always I I, I often feel that like it's hard. It's very difficult for a character to. For us to feel invested in a character if we don't know much about them before. And so, like, either... And often the best characters are the ones where, like, the actor finds a way to just put that on the character's face and Mm -hmm. you don't even... And so, like, this finds a way to reveal character where they're just kind of saying their philosophies and you're able to infer from those how they arrived there. Specifically Wallace Shawn's character, but the other guy as well. But he also gives you more to work with. And so... um, And it's just... I don't know. It's I, I I loved it. If you haven't seen it, watch it. That's that's probably third. Um, okay. Uh, of of what I saw. So then I How watched. How many we got left? Two. Okay. So then I went and saw To the Wonder. Oh yeah. Um, which I won't go into a lot of detail about because I'm sure, like you know, we'll talk about at some point. I'm not sure if it'll wind up in my top ten of the year. Okay. I haven't but, seen uh, it. But yeah, it's. Do you it's think very, I'll like it? <clears throat> you like Tree of Life, right? I love Tree of Life. It's not as good as Tree of Life, I'll say that. Um, but it is very good, very engaging. There are times when this is going to sound a little mean. I don't mean for it to be. There are times when it's like it's Terrence Malick at his Terrence Malickiest. <laughs> like it's I think just that's okay. It's like when it, it it would be like if somebody was doing a Terrence Malick impression, but they weren't trying to make a joke about it. <laughs> this is probably the movie they would make. Like there are times when it's like, look, I understand you don't. It's like I'm I'm fine with you not having a lot of dialogue or really any uh, dialogue. Like it's almost all voiceover. Um, but there are certain there are certain things where it's just like from a from a story structure point of view, and I know he's, he doesn't care much about story structure, but you somehow, I mean, he jumped around at different points in time in Tree of Life, and I was able to keep track of things more. Whereas this one, it seemed to be pretty linear, and yet still I wasn't able to figure out what was happening, and especially like towards the end, he does this thing. And if, I, like, 
not being able to figure out everything is not the sign of a bad movie, certainly. But, uh, but it felt like he wanted me to understand what happened and I, and didn't give me the, and thought he gave me more than he did. But all that is, uh, all that is negative. I don't mean to like emphasize that. Like it is really fascinating. There's like the way he explores like love and the idea that, you know, when you first fall in love with someone, it's this amazing, passionate thing, and, and it's just astounding. And then, as you, and you commit to this person out of that feeling, but then you both, you know, you live together or you get married or whatever, and you see them day to day, and you get in arguments, and then you make up, and then you go and do, you know, you know, sometimes you go on a really awesome trip to New Zealand, sometimes you watch Survivor on a Wednesday night, <laughs> like, you know, some things would be seen as boring, some things would be seen as amazing. Sometimes things look terrible. Sometimes things look great. And just like, and saying like, is that like, is that a tragedy that this amazing passionate thing becomes this? Now, my, my argument is no, but, um, but really exploring this, like it is kind of like, we all just sort of assume that that's how it's going to go. Cause that's how it always goes. You get used to things and then you have to engage with it on a day to day basis. And so what he's asking and I don't think he comes down one way or another. I think he probably comes down more on the side of like, it, it doesn't have to be a sad thing. It doesn't have to be a terrible thing. But um, this idea, it's like, do we all just assume, like, do we all just accept this because we don't know any other way? Like, that lo- that this kind of passionate love will always fade. Do we just, as- do we just assume that or do, mm-hmm. it, do we ever take the time to question it? Um, but he also, like... The main character also has at times a very child, what I would say is a very childish view of love, mm-hmm. and she acts very childish at times. And so, and there are, there are moments where I was like, I can't figure out if this is the character or the movie that thinks this. When you said the main character is Olga Kurilenko? Yes, sure. Okay. That sounds right. Um, but yeah, and so... Because like, there's another... Rachel McAdams? Mm-hmm. Is she, she's in it as well? Okay. Yeah, but the main character is definitely uh, okay. that first one. And so... Um, so yeah, there's there's really a lot of complexity, and so it's not it the scope in scope it's it's not at all Tree of Life, um, but uh, and I was I went and saw it with uh, Jason, and we were talking about you know why did some of the like day to day stuff the stuff that seemingly we can relate to as people like why did that seem so intangible in this movie when really it wasn't that different than what was in tree of life. And I said, well, tree of life also had much larger things going on that suddenly made these intangible things much more able to, you know, much more comprehensible, but it's still a very solid movie. And it's the only Malick film I've been able to see in the theater. And I was very happy that I did. And finally, finally, this was a last-minute edition. Just today? No, no, no. It was, it was a few days ago, but <laughs> okay. it was a last-minute, like, like, oh, April's almost over. Um, <laughs> I watched uh, Guillermo del Toro's Kronos. Which I have not seen. Which uh, I enjoyed quite a bit. I think it's the only del Toro film I have not seen. Hmm. I have not seen The Devil's Backbone. He did that, right? Yes, and that's coming out on Criterion. Oh, is it? And... I want to say... Nah, never mind. You saw Hellboy 2? Oh, no, I forgot that he did that. All Hellboy right, 2, then. the Golden... The Golden Army. Golden Army. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who owns that movie. It's uh, me, Tyler. 
Oh, I was, thought it was Warner Brothers. Or... Well, I mean, you know, admittedly, I own a copy of the movie. I do not own the film. Um, yeah, so Chronos, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, and uh, it's just that. Uh, what are you looking for? Okay, sorry. Um, it's it's this story about a guy who finds this in many ways it feels like an episode of the outer limits or uh the twilight zone or something what i wanted to say and i think i'm right i still in front of confirmation but i think devil's backbone on criterion is going to be criterion spine number 666 oh <laughs> well there you go <laughs> it, how do they not just try it try everything they can They're just like all right we got to get the omen right, <laughs> right. Like, we have to do it and just like, I don't care what it costs. So I'm sorry, I completely interrupted you, but um, yes. But yeah, and so like, so it it has that feeling. It has a very, uh, and I don't mean to say this in a pejorative way, but it has a very television quality to it, both in the way it looks and the story. But of course, it's still Guillermo del Toro, who can't do anything without it being kind of, not weird, but like a specific type of morbid and like, and the film, by the way, here's what I found interesting. In many ways, it's very Cronenbergian, which I wonder if by making a movie and calling it Kronos, he's uh-huh. trying to directly reference <laughs> David Cronenberg. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's about this this uh, older man who runs an antique shop, and in, in this uh, statue is this little golden device that uh stabs you in the hand and uh or it stabs you wherever you put it um mm-hmm. and it rejuvenates rejuvenates you and and makes you feel younger and so this old man suddenly starts feeling more vital and uh, and all that only to find that huh blood's starting to look pretty good to him to drink mm-hmm. and uh and that sort of thing and so um what I will say is the I don't have his name uh, in front of me, but the lead actor, the guy who plays the the the, the old man, uh, he's great, and it really is a it really is his movie as far as uh, as far as like performance and and the weight is on his shoulders. Uh, but uh, Ron Perlman is in it as well. I didn't know that um, <clears throat> as the nephew of the villain, who's kind of this thug type, um, who's obsessed with getting a nose job. I love details like that. But anyway, um, but yeah, and it's not a particularly... That's him, yes. His name is Federico Lupi. That's him. And so, uh, so yeah, it's not a particularly gruesome film, but, you know, when the main character... I'll say this. He's at a party, like a New Year's party, and a guy gets a bloody nose. And this this is when the guy's like, oh, hey, what's that? So the guy with the bloody nose goes into the bathroom to tend to his bloody nose. Our main character follows him into the bathroom. Uh-huh. Uh, the guy eventually, you know, fixes everything and uh, leaves, and there is a puddle of blood on the counter and our because uh, it has dripped from his nose onto the counter, and the guy's not cleaned it up because he's inconsiderate. Yeah, it's very yeah. inconsiderate. <laughs> and so, but you know what? Our main character's thrilled. Uh-huh. So he starts... He uses his hands and kind of collects it into like one pile, and he's about to go down and drink it, and then somebody comes out from the stall, and uh, <coughs> and is amazed at how inconsiderate this person was, and so he just cleans it all up. And our main and never you never think that you're going to be like, oh, 
when someone wants to drink blood and they can't. <laughs> but the, the movie finds a way to do it. And then here's the thing. There's still a little bit on the floor. Oh. So then I'm liking where this is going. So then our main character gets down and the and the camera's right there on the ground as he just licks blood up off a bathroom floor. <laughs> it is like and I'm so like that here's the thing. I I feel like I've spoiled it for you, but uh you know what? It's I'm sure pretty more. pretty horrible to see. Um <clears throat> but uh, but it's a it's just a really good movie and I'm I'm very glad that I saw it. Well, that's uh do you think how how often do you think you'll be taking a month off? Do you think this will be a yearly thing? I don't well, I don't I, you and I need to probably discuss that, but I wasn't but plan, I, I wasn't planning on that. I was just thinking it seems like it was fruitful and you mentioned when we started talking about this that there's a lot of stuff you weren't able to get to. Yeah. I wasn't able to get to Solaris. Uh-huh. Um, you know what? I did start watching Battle of Algiers, but oh, then... That, another, uh, one, another one I've seen. Okay, yeah. All right. I got about 45 the minutes way, in, then I got interrupted. I plan on finishing it tomorrow. Another one I saw at the Music Box in okay. Chicago. Oh, all right. Battle of Algiers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so like... So what was it? Oh, and then I also... I was going to watch Mike Lee's Naked, but uh, uh-huh. unfortunately what I failed to recognize when I planned this is that uh, Jen and I would have out-of-town guests for about a week. Oh, right, um, right. And so we spent a great deal of time with them, and suddenly I couldn't I couldn't uh, steal away and watch these movies. So so I tried to get in where, you know, some movies where I could, and so that's where I wound up with, you know, Kronos and my dinner with Andre and that kind of thing. But, but yeah, there's still a lot that I haven't seen, and so I may want to wind up doing this again, but I don't want to necessarily put that on you again. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, the listeners won't, won't like that. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. Um, I've forgotten how to do the spiel because I wasn't doing it. Really? Yeah. Um, you can find us at battleshippretension.com. You can email us, david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official pod, official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at morethanonelesson.com. And my other podcasts... Watch out. Here we go. Previously Wait, you're, on, you're pluralizing? Previously on is not um, over. Like I will still do it on when on occasion when I... I'm caught up. I did like some updates from WonderCon, or maybe just one update from WonderCon. Uh, so I'll probably do the same from Comic Con this summer. Um, and yeah, I'm not retiring previously on. It will be a when I can or when I have something that I want to talk about show. But my new weekly television podcast is called Hey Watch This with Paul and David. That's a good Paul, title. That's a good title. Yes, it is. Um, I know what you're saying. You're saying Paul and David, who is this Paul? Um, He's no less than the king of TV himself, Paul Goebel, uh, who um, is retiring his podcast, or has. It is they did the now, final yeah. episode. Um, the Paul Goebel show is over, and so Paul and I will be talking about TV every week. And um, unlike previously on, where I'll be sort of trying to throw a blanket over the week and cover as much as I can, the idea is that Paul and I each pick an episode or something that's airing that week we both watch it and we talk just about that and at the end of each episode we will say what we're going to be talking about next week so listeners can make sure to watch these you know it's not you know the, so the one we're that will will be that it will be going up probably the same day this goes up will be about um the most recent episode of Hannibal on NBC and the 
series premiere of Family Tools on ABC. Um, so uh, uh, that's you can so you can you know that's only an hour and a half of programming minus commercials. So that's uh, an hour and a half of programming followed by an hour of insightful. Humorous yeah. commentary. I don't know how much insight I'm going to have on Family Tools. Oh, okay. Uh, looks looks pretty bad. That was Paul's pick. <laughs> um, but you know what? Our first episode, which is up, I picked and made Paul watch Project Runway. So maybe this is him getting back at me. <laughs> well, that oh, see now already a dynamic is developing that I like, which is just just people being vengeful. No, that's what, and, as soon as bitter. I said, I told Natalie, my girlfriend, I was like, I think I'm going to pick Project Runway. And she was like, is the point to pick something that Paul will hate? And I, and I was like, no, but it could be... See, That could know, be a part of the fun. When I saw that was the, uh, the pick, you know, Paul watches everything. But he doesn't watch Project Runway. And I didn't, I guess I didn't know that. He watched the first season, I think he said. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, and so like, it's just... Uh, I guess I just assumed that that was something you both agreed upon because yeah. I because I don't think I knew the format initially. Yeah, we we each pick one. Yeah, okay. Paul's pick for the first week was the two hour uh, series premiere of Rectify, which was amazing, and I'm glad he picked it. What uh, what network is that on? Um, it's on Sundance. Oh, Sun. Oh, okay. Yes. Interesting. Wow, that's okay. Um, and you should watch it. It's uh, the season one is only six episodes, so all right, okay, you should watch it as soon as I figure out a way to watch something on Sundance Channel. I will, all right, yeah. I will get around to it. Um, but you know who created it? No, I don't. Ray McKinnon. Hey, yeah, all right. He's the creator. Look who just got my attention. I was, <laughs> I was zoned out for the last five minutes. All right, so um, thank you for not zoning out. I don't know though you probably did, but wake up. We're wrapping up the show. <laughs> um, thank you for. Uh, uh, thank you at home for listening. What do, what do we usually do? You usually say that, and then I say I'll get you next time. Okay. Thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.